Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Which Kelly are you? Edward. People call me Ned. I photograph what my conscience asks me to. Mad Max 2. It's my kind of movie. Shut up! Shut up! Your friend can't come back, Sarge. Oh, he's disabled. I'm this carer. You're blind. He's an equal opportunity employer. The kids who are sick cannot do the hip-hop anymore. G'day and welcome to The Curve. My name's Andrew Pierce, and this is a podcast that's all about culture, unity, reviews and banter. This podcast is proudly recorded in the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region and they pay respects to their elders both past, present and emerging. On this particular episode, this is a recording of a Q&A that myself, Andrew Pierce, and Matthew Eels from Cinema Australia and Travis Johnson from pretty much everywhere on Australian film criticism uh, joined up to answer some questions that people had submitted online. And we did that via Zoom and there were a few in-person questions as well, uh, which you'll hear throughout the discussion. It's quite a long one, so I've split this into two episodes because it's... Um, Otherwise, it'd be two hours and you'd be sitting there and just wouldn't get through the whole thing. So I'm trying to break it down so it's a little bit easier for you guys to approach. Uh, But I think there is a lot of interesting discussion points that we touch on and that were asked of us. So look, I won't dilly-dally around. Let's jump right into the discussion. And at the end, I'll make sure to stick a link where everybody can find the work of Matt and myself and Travis. First of all, probably best to introduce ourselves to kick this thing off. I'm Andrew Pierce. I run The Curb, uh, and I'm joined by two of the people who have inspired me to do what I do quite a lot uh, to do this Q&A. So, um, Travis, Matt, uh, thank you for joining us all together uh, with this. Fantastic. And it's a great idea it's, for this, Travis, as well. Yeah, it's great yeah. to be here. I'm really excited by this. Well, we were all going to catch up at... Um uh the adelaide film festival this year remember that was the plan and now it looks like that's probably not going to happen so i thought that this kind of virtual panel might be a way for us to uh, a reconnect because you know we're all old mates and, and b we can kind of ruminate on the current state of the australian film industry how it's been affected by the pandemic what it's going to be like going forward how badly we've been fucked by the liberal government and uh you know all that good stuff uh who better really come with the hour come with the men <laughs> exactly. And uh, uh, I'm uh, Matt Eels and I'm from uh, Cinema Australia and I also run uh, the WA Made Film Festival which had its uh, inaugural event at the uh, beginning of March. So uh, I'm really excited to be here. I can't wait to have a chat and really get into this because uh, there's a lot of questions that uh, people want to want answers to and we're here to answer them. Oh, oh and I'm, I'm Travis Johnson. I'm from everywhere. Like I write for everywhere. <laughs> 
Travis writes for Cinema Australia and The Curb from time to time. Yep. Uh, SBS, flicks.com.au, Mr. Movies, The Guardian, uh, Empire for, for quite a while. Uh, Metro. <laughs> Travis is also an award-winning writer too. Uh, won an award at the beginning of the year. So yeah, congratulations for that. Not to toot horns too much, but yeah. Um, thank you everybody for joining. We've got quite a few people here, so great to see you. Again, uh, as I mentioned, um, feel free to drop uh, comments or questions in the, the comment section. There is a Zoom group chat there, so keep an eye on that as well. Um, I know it's uh, a bit busy at times, but nonetheless. Um, so let's jump off with the first question then, um, which comes all the way from the Gold Coast. I say all the way, and it's closer to Travis than it is for Matt and I. Uh, but Lucy Fisher, who is the Festival Director and CEO of Gold Coast Film Australia, sent in a question uh, for this Q&A today. And she asked, uh, she'd love to hear a discussion on the future of film festivals in Australia. Is it a case of hibernating for a year and then returning or putting limited content online? And this is a bit of a big question, so we'll try and break it down as we go along. But nonetheless, uh, what does it mean for the second tier festivals when the big guys, e.g. Sydney, are putting content online with We Are One Festival for free and accessible without any geoblocks? What's the value of the in-person festival experience and how can it be replicated? What does it mean for filmmakers and premier status? So, Matt, I'm going to throw this one to you to start off with because you literally just ran a festival, uh, arguably the last festival in the world. <laughs> um, so what's your thoughts on this? Well, you know, something, that I, uh, something that I've always believed about Australian film festivals and that I was reminded of during the WMA Film Festival is film festivals in Australia are so important because of the social aspect of them and the networking opportunities that they provide for people. Um, I've made some lifelong friends uh, during the film festivals uh, that I visit. Um, so I think that's, that's, uh, that's one of the main aspects of film festivals in Australia is the networking opportunities that it gives to people. Um, Andrew, you said something similar at, uh, at our film festival that, uh, that everyone was buzzing, you know, and that, that everyone wants to be together and um and uh and and network and get to know each other um yeah they're vitally important and and i don't think they they'll go anywhere because of that reason because of the social reason um yeah obviously they provide huge opportunities for for filmmakers and the films that are screened there but um yeah at the end of the day what a what a social experience they are for everyone uh, who goes along so they are a social experience but also i mean the the, the social aspect has disappeared and as we're finding, I'm sure as we'll discuss about cinemas and, and the state of how they're reopening, how they will reopen around the world uh, with new protocols in place, limited audience members and stuff like that, social distancing measures and things like that. I think that certainly film festivals by themselves are going to be the hardest hit. You are talking about film festivals that require sellout screenings to be financially viable, that require huge amount of people to attend them to be a financially successful entity and to ensure that they can continue going on year in year out mm -hmm. and so that i think is going to be a really concerning thing going forward what the future of australian film festivals or film festivals around the world is going to be like i don't know um and i think that it's going to take international festivals like Cannes or venice or toronto they're going to be the ones that are going to set the benchmark for what's got to go forward and how things are going to happen 
But with that said, I mean, we don't know what the state of uh, Sydney First Odds is going to be this year, whether it's going to go ahead or not. Uh, we don't know whether Revelation, they've said that they're, they're rescheduling to later on in the year. They're usually held around July. That's going to be rescheduled to later on in the year. Um, Have they said a month for that, by the way? I, I believe it was September. Right. Um, so, yeah, which is great. And I'm looking forward to it. It's one of my favourite festivals of the year. And I, I eagerly look forward to it, mostly because of that communicable aspect you know that that community vibe that comes with it um and yet that's something that's going to change completely going forward what it means for australian festivals i don't know but also on top of that what it means for exclusive uh festival launches and things like that i mean you yourself matt had a whole bunch of short films and feature films that this was the first time that they were screened uh in a cinema and that was you know there was some launches there which were absolutely fantastic but what happens when you take that away? Uh, mm -hmm. It's not as prestigious if you're just launching it up online, is it? Mm -hmm. um, Travis, no, what about not. you? You're, you're kind of in the, 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 the bed of where these kinds of festivals take place. Sydney Film Festival is one of the biggest film festivals uh, in the Southern Hemisphere in the world. Yeah. Um, we don't know when this pandemic is going to end. We don't know if it's going to end. We don't have a really good model of how we're going to be able to interact publicly and socially going forward once we start to if not get back to normal because i don't think that's a great phrase but attain a, a new sort of sense of, of normalcy and, and equilibrium and, and something which feels sustainable and ongoing uh but yeah festivals which have to sell out to uh to break even are going to take it in the neck and more broadly uh you know how do you four-wall an indie film and make a profit when you can only fill half a cinema or a quarter of a cinema? Uh, that's going to really affect filmmakers going forward if you're really sort of working on the fringes and making, you know, really kind of unique but niche films. And, you know, it used to be you'd be able to go out and hire a cinema and maybe fill, your friend, fill it with your mates and family for a couple of sessions and boom, your movie's been on the big screen. I, that may not be viable anymore, which is really scary. We're going to have to start thinking about... Um, what cinema really means and what is essential to the theater going experience and the festival going experience and what is not. And yeah, the festivals aren't just about watching movies because you can stream fucking anything within three months of it being made these days. Okay. Like we're, we're drowning in content. The value of the festival is the schmoozing. It is the, the networking, which is exactly what you guys said. It is, uh, being able to meet people in a semi-formal, but relaxed, uh, kind of, of, of uh, atmosphere um, and, and forge bonds and relationships which maybe wouldn't exist if you weren't all getting trollied on Margaret River wine uh, <laughs> at Cinefest you know? And we've seen it happen. We've seen it happen. Yeah, it's like we've seen it. measure for measure got made because Hugo Weaving saw porno and ran up to Dane Hill at Cinefest Oz and went, that movie's fucking great. We should work together sometime. So like, that's how it works. You know? um, it would break my heart to see that go away like i would miss that like you know more than i'd miss a, a severed limb uh but they're also a yeah oh, sorry no but i don't think there are any easy answers i think uh the question said about second tier or smaller festivals maybe suffering because the bigger festivals are kind of able to take a hit you know underwrite free content online um which then becomes less valuable to sort of second run festivals. I think that's, yeah, that, that, that's a bit, predatory is the wrong word, but they're sort of further up the, the food chain and, uh, and the smaller festivals are kind of not benefiting from that model, I don't think. 
so what what is a second tier film festival in in australia because we say that uh, the sydney film festival is one of the big ones but they're also one of the only film festivals that actually crowdfund to fund their festival yeah. right so we're saying that that's a top one but something else is is a second tier well i'd probably say that sydney melbourne and adelaide are your, your primary festivals and then everything else is sort of further down which, which is not a, a comment on quality at all at no. fucking all because mm -hmm. i've had a better time at rev than i've ever had at sydney don't hate me sydney but it's true <laughs> um because of the free drinks right uh but yeah you know but you understand that festivals like uh you know the smaller festivals sometimes run stuff which has already premiered um at, at at sydney or melbourne or whatever but if it's premiered online and anyone can watch it and they have then you know that that's devalued okay mm. that that is a a less valuable um sort of artifact in the uh in the ecosystem so yeah and yeah, there's a certain generosity to the audience of like doing all this free content online that's great and you know as a consumer like i'm here for it man like I'm, I'll, I'll watch movies all day it's what i do mm. i didn't get into this for the money uh but <laughs> how is it affecting the industry how is it affecting the film community how is it going to affect like all of us in this together not just as viewers and consumers but as screen practitioners as and commentators critics filmmakers exhibitors whatever uh you know because all this has happened really fast man so we're all kind of adapting on our feet and trying to sort of make our best guess as to what would be the best kind of move to make, given that we can't do all the stuff we'd normally love to do. Mm. And we may find going forward that we've made some bad choices along the way, not purposefully, not with an intent to do harm, but with harmful outcomes anyway. So, mm. Mm. so long story short, I don't know. But I'm <laughs> um, I really feel at the moment, I feel for the, uh, the films and the filmmakers who uh, aren't going to have the film festivals this year as a launching pad to launch their fest, uh, their films and, and their names and, and to build buzz. Um, I Am Woman, uh, uh, Swimming for Gold was meant to have its uh, world premiere, I think, at the Gold Coast Film Festival. Um, Never Too Late was going to have its first uh, public screening. Uh, Smoke Between Trees, which played at Melbourne last year, uh, didn't get the buzz that I feel like it deserved and it had a second opportunity here with the Gold Coast Film Festival, but that's going to miss out on that buzz. So I think there was uh, 18 Australian films were set to premiere at Gold Coast and nothing, you know. Um, it's, it's the smaller films and, and the, the first-time filmmakers who are going to suffer the most um, in that, like, so we just had uh, Hearts and Bones go to BOD, which sucks because that film deserves a big screen, but you can trot out Hugo Weaving and he can beat the bushes and do a bunch of interviews, which he did because I spoke to him and I think you did too, Matt. Yeah, and um, they also had a huge, um, a huge Q&A, uh, 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 a huge Q&A tour planned for the film as well, um, yeah, which is really disappointing. Um, but if you're an emerging filmmaker, you know, your first feature or something and you were hoping that maybe a bit of festival buzz would kind of give you a boost, well, you're not going to get that because, you know, festival fever is a thing. We do tend to get more excited about films we see at festivals because it's the atmosphere. It's just kind yeah. of, behind it. you're a little more generous. You want, you want to be nice to everything and, and everything new is amazing unless it's terrible. Um, but yeah, like emerging filmmakers aren't going to benefit from that if you've made a good film and I hope everyone makes good films. I never want anyone to make a bad film. What happens going forward then with those emerging filmmakers? Because in my mindset, when everything reopens, they're not only, I mean, they're already competing with the blockbuster films and your Marvels mm. and stuff like that. But then there's going to be an even bigger torrent of all that kind of stuff. There's essentially a year's worth of 
material which has been held back because the cinemas have been closed. Everything's been delayed to next year. Everything from Fast and Furious to Milan to Wonder Woman and all of this has been... Milan, they're looking at maybe trotting out in, in July. Milan sure. and Kenneth are going to be the, the ones which kind of are the tip of the spear in terms of hopefully getting people back in a, in a theatres. Uh, it, whether that works is... Who knows how it will work? Who knows? But it's, it's still... They're already insurmountable things that small films and indie filmmakers have to go up against. And that's why film festivals are so important because they become a place where people can see these films on a big screen. And even if they are available online, there is a uh, prestige aspect to going to a cinema and watching it with a communal group of people. And, and it's experiencing with everyone. Your, your, your festival audience is people who will show up for this, you know? It's not sort of exactly. jokes that like, oh, if it's not Endgame, go fuck yourself. You yeah. know, the, the people who will turn up and, and go and take a punt on some weird little romantic drama set on a sheep station in 1840s Ballarat or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and sorry to uh, jump you off there, Trav, but the, no, the thing that I'm concerned about is that with all of these festivals, they are putting free content online and it's fantastic. And a lot of it isn't geo-blocked. Uh, and so, yeah, it's great to be able to sit there at your home and watch these movies in the safety of your own home. Uh, but you're also missing out of that communal aspect. And most importantly, which is the thing that concerns me the most about all of this going forward, is that audiences may just become accustomed to cheaper free content. And they're like, well, we had a whole year of free stuff, so why would I pay going forward? We're already, yeah. you know, I mean, piracy levels are already jumping up high. Australian uh, films are lucky they're uh, in the way that uh, we, uh, you know, most of our uh, Australian films are premiered with event screenings and the yeah. Q&As and stuff like that. So we're, we're really lucky there um, as far as Australian films go. Um, can I give it, while we're talking about Australian film festivals, I think it's important for people to know that right now there's actually one happening online, which is the Breath of Fresh Air uh, film festival down in Tasmania. It launched on the 1st of May and finishes on the 17th of May. And every single one of their films in the program is now available to watch for free online. Um, so if you want to check out, so there's, I think there's only three Australian films playing. But uh, there's also a lot of other films that are there available for free. And I would actually like to talk to uh, Breath of Fresh Air after this, just to find out how it went and, you know, whether they wanted to reveal their numbers or not. That's a different story. But uh, it'll be interesting to know how it all went. We just got a good comment from uh, David Vincent Smith, who said uh, one positive outcome about community, online community, and, you know, the children will lead us, right? Is that his students, his film students, have started, like, weekly online film clubs through, like, Zoom or Discord or whatever he didn't specify. Um, so people still want to come together and discuss film and have that communal experience, but it's, of course, mm. mediated through technology because we're all stuck at home. Mm, David, uh, I'm wondering... Uh, on a beach in uh, Margaret River or Bustle. <laughs> David, uh, while we've got you here, I'm wondering uh, what your preference is now that you've had the opportunity to watch so many uh, films online during uh, isolation. Uh, what's your preference going forward, uh, online or getting back, back out there to the cinema? I've unmuted you as well, David, if you've got a mic attached so you don't have uh, to write a message. Um, Hello, are you there, David? You got us, David? 
Oh, my housemate is smashing Xbox behind me from David Vincent's. Oh, right. No worries. That's fine. I will mute you again. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Didn't see that there. But nonetheless, yeah, yeah. Drop drop a response to Matt's question there in the comment, David, and we'll and we we'll read that out. Um, let me type maybe chat and we'll get back to you in a bit. That's that's perfectly right. fine. Good. Um, no worries. For the future of the festivals, I think is the you know we'll move on to the next question in a moment. But for the future of festivals, I think that. It's been I think they'll be fine um, and I think that they'll be okay, but there also needs to be a massive support for them when they return. There are going yeah. to be, just like everything else, there is going to be collapses and, and closures, um, which wouldn't have occurred uh, at any other time. Like without a pandemic, global pandemic, then certain things wouldn't have closed. Um, but we really need to make sure that uh, film festivals have the, the support, um, especially local film festivals and uh, the smaller ones. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is one which I've not been to, but I have been fortunate enough to watch the films that have been screened there. And I always look forward to that particular festival because it's something different. I can't mm. just, you know, trundle on down and catch these small independent documentaries that inevitably don't get a release anywhere and that's what a film festival is for me a place where sometimes you can't even see anything and that's what revelation is in particular there's certain films from revelation which as far as i can tell aren't available anywhere else they screened uh and that's it and they disappeared <laughs> and um and that's what a film festival means to me at least uh and i, I think that we really need to support them uh, in whatever way possible going forward absolutely Please. i think we have uh, we are inevitably going to see several festivals go on hiatus for, I would say, two years. Like, it'll be this year because, like, no one can fucking go. And it'll be next year because no one's got any money. Uh, so we have to, yeah, you're quite right. We have to be as supportive as possible. We have to be aware that it's going to take a real act of love and generosity to kind of make sure that our festival culture survives, if it can, depending on what shape the world is in, in 12 to 24 months. Hey, uh, considering that Lucy asked that question, I'm just curious to know if she's here at the moment. Is she, is she, has uh, she joined? I can't see her in the group, I'm sorry to see. Mm. Um, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be able to rewatch it later. Yeah. I noticed yeah. that Jasper Silver has just joined us and he sent me a question uh, earlier today. So maybe we'll get him on mic and he can ask it now. Mm. You say that like I'm rushing to, there we go. You're, you're, you should be unmuted now, Jasper. All right. Can you all hear me then? Let's yes, go. I can hear you. <laughs> all right. Hey, so, Jasper, uh, thank you for joining, by the way. We really appreciate it. Oh, no, it was my pleasure. I would rather I hope to be anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is uh, one of those questions that rattles around. Um, a little while ago, I don't know if you guys have been, I presume you did it. There was a questionnaire that went around about the Australian film industry. Um, I can't remember who it was by and I was filling it out and I realised as I was going through that uh, it was yet another one where they've gotten obsessed down the rabbit hole of Australian cinema having to represent and uh, portray Australian voices and Australianness. And I, my, my question generally is that I sort of feel that, um, uh, you know, with other countries, film industries, they tend not to get, or they don't appear to be obsessed with representing themselves. They just make their films and Bob's your uncle, the, the, they're representing themselves as a byproduct of making good films and being, you know, true to the people involved in that industry. And 
you know, people in the American film industry never actually worry about whether they're representing Americans because, of course, they are the dominant, you know, culture industry. And countries who are making films in foreign, you know, non-English speaking languages don't have to worry about that either because if they don't make films in their own language, they're not speaking to their own audience. So I have a tendency, I get, I wonder to what extent the Australian film industry gets bogged down in the issue of trying to be Australian and forgets that some of the best and most notable exports of the Australian film industry don't do that. They just go ahead and make the best damn film they can. Um, I've always felt that the best example of that is Mad Max. Um, you know, they went out, they make the best film they could. It is in many ways... Um, quintessentially Australian, but at no point does it actually try and be Australian. You know what I mean? So yeah, I yeah, that's a really fantastic question. I'm going to mute you now, Jasper, only because, um, so I can keep order at this, but if you do have further to add on it, I'm just going to um, just stick your hand up. Uh, I can see you there. Um, I think that it's a really interesting thing. And it's certainly for somebody like myself, who I review a lot of Australian films, I watch a lot of Australian films, I talk about Australian films quite a lot. Um, it's a little bit incessant sometimes. Um, and there is certainly a desire to present an Australia. And uh, there is a, one of the common complaints is that it's all just too serious. Australian films are just too serious and they're too focused on real life. And yes, that's a matter of fact. There are a lot of films that are very serious to do focus on real life but then equally so there are a lot of films that are comical and, and amusing and things like that um but this is the broader question and the broader issue that faces the australian film industry how do they break into international markets how do they appeal to international markets and what you said was right there are a lot of other countries who don't tend to push themselves onto screen they're not concerned about how they're presented as such uh, because for me at least, uh, as an international person, um, you know, the UK film industry or the Iranian film industry or the Thai film industry and stuff like that, they, their culture and their lifestyle is already built into the films that they're presenting. And they already have a lot of film people who go and watch UK films or Thai films or Iranian cinema. You know, the label of those particular films means that people will seek them out regardless. But that doesn't occur for Australian films. And there is an identity issue, almost an identity crisis facing Australian films at the moment. Uh, how do they present themselves? Are they, do they try and tell Australian stories? Do they try and push Australian stories? Or, as is the case from my perspective, at least with films made in Western Australia, do they then become... Um, almost glorified tourism ads. Uh, you look at a few of them and there are some that, that certainly Western Australia is a beautiful place, uh, lovely, lovely looking place. Um, and yet the films are less about a story and more about presenting a Western Australia, which is nice. So yeah, I'm, that's if I an see issue one more drone shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For those who didn't hear that, that's uh, Matt was just saying, if he sees one more drone shot, which we do love drones, you know, people love these shiny tools. Um, hey, but yeah, go for it, Trev. My theory, and I do have one, is that this at least 
partly descends from Brian McNamara uh, touched on this in a comment, um, but I was already thinking about it. I'm not ripping. I was off. thinking it too. That was going to be my answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it descends from our government funding model uh, where it, it is almost impossible, not completely impossible, but it's very tough to make a film in Australia without some form of government funding. And to get government funding, you have to jump through a bunch of hoops. So the government thinks that they're spending money, not on just whatever wild, craziness some freak with the cameras dreamed up but something which speaks to the Australian people about the Australian identity it's about culturally enriching our society uh and you know these assholes are always somewhat artistically conservative so their idea of representation their idea of, of, of Australian values their idea of Australian narratives is it tends to be pretty not broad, uh, but kind of obvious, okay? It, it kind of, gar not garish, but kind of heavy-handed, I would say. Um, so you wind up with stories which, uh, and I, I'm not bagging out any movies here, don't, don't panic, but it, the focus on identity and, and, uh, and telling Australian stories tends to be more weighted than it should be in the consideration. And then we get this kind of, like, audiences get this kind of cultural cringe because like it, you know, you know what it's like to be Australian because you're fucking Australian. So you don't need, like we need our stories told to us because that's how we kind of make sense of who we are, but we don't need to be beaten over the head with it, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, you kind of get this weird kind of feedback loop where these films require government funding more because they can't make money because no one wants to see a film which is so heavy handed about what it's like to be fucking Australian. when. You know, but, but, but I also think as well, I think one of the issues that, it, that Australian cinema is facing in Australia, at least, is that a lot of audience people, at least from what I read in comment section and, and having talked to a lot of people about this, um, while there is a group of people who, us in particular, who support Australian film, love Australian film and champion as much as possible, breaking it into the greater film consuming uh, group in Australia is very hard because there are a lot of people who just can't get over the fact that the last great Australian film was The Castle or something mm. like that. And there is a, there is a, a benchmark of the, that was the last one and nothing else coming after it uh, has been good. And, mm. and I, I'm just going mostly on, on uh, comment sections and things like that, but there is certainly an antagonism towards Australian films. Australians don't want to see themselves on screen. They don't want to. And it, I think that even regardless of whether uh, we're telling Australian stories or not telling Australian stories, but they're stories made in Australia, they're not interested. And I think that comes, that's a whole different problem. Uh, it's a whole different question uh, regarding how to get audiences interested in Australian films and stuff like that. Um, but I certainly think that reaffirming what the Australian identity is, um, is hard. What does it mean to be Australian? Oh, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> Looking around today, you know, I don't know what it means to be Australian. And so mm. therefore it becomes a very hard thing to present that on film. And maybe that's why so many people try and engage with it. Um, Matt, you run a website completely dedicated to Australian films. Um, yeah. Are we trying too hard? Are we pushing too much? Um, I don't think so. No, I love seeing uh, our voices being told on screen. Um, uh, as um, Brian mentioned before, this all comes. Our, our funding in Australia is completely different to everywhere else in the world, right? Uh, are there any other countries like Australia who 
who rely almost 100% on government funding to make their films? Well, there's the French model, which is quite interesting, where mm. uh, uh, basically a part of every ticket sold goes straight mm. to the production fund. And it's, mm. uh, yeah, that, that's why French cinema is so, so vibrant and, 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 and ongoing. Like, they're never mm. going to stop making movies, bless them. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, the best films, that, the films that I love watching are the ones that aren't funded by Screen Australia, to tell you the truth. The, the small independent ones, we mm. had a whole bunch of them last year. And yeah, they, uh, you know, the Australian voice is very heavy, but they're also universal stories. Um, I'm just trying to think of a few examples. Um, um, yeah, well, we I had know, quite a few. Yeah, I know that Hot Mess has, uh, which did very well last year from... Um, critically at least, um, that at least put Lucy Coleman on the map and she's mm. over in America. I don't know if she's still over there right now, but she's over in America, certainly having been able to get her foot in the door because of that kind of film, because there is a distinct voice. There is a distinct uh, independent voice. And, and yeah, there's an Australian twang to it, but it's very, um, it's very akin to the indie films in America. It's um, very lo-fi and all that kind of stuff. And she only made it for 3000 bucks, which is nothing. So there's no yeah, government funding great. at all. The thing. It's, it's, actually, it's good. And everyone who hasn't seen it watching this should run out and watch that movie because you'll have mm. a time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, for people who feel a similar way to Jasper, I do recommend, uh, you know, avoiding the, the uh, films that are, sorry. No, that, that's the wrong way to don't avoid films that are funded by Screen Australia, <laughs> but seek out the other films, you know, that, that don't have that kind of funding. Uh, no, see, see every Australian film, but, you know, seek out some of the smaller ones as well. They are out there too. They're everywhere. You can, you know, lots, lots of uh, video on demand services have those films, including Hot Mess, uh, which uh, Andrew just, um, just suggested. Yeah, to answer your question, Jason, you can watch it. I think it's pretty much on all, all de on demand services, uh, Apple movies and, uh, whatever they're calling that nowadays and Google and PlayStation, all that kind of stuff. You can, it's a, it is a, it was released via uh, filming present. So it's a filming presents title, which has put out a couple of um, really lo-fi independent kind of stuff and hot mess was one of them. Um, but yeah, that's the thing is that it's, I think that, I think that we're really struggling filmmakers in Australia are really struggling with how to get their films noticed and sometimes being hyper Australian or hyper um, serious or something like that will at least break through to the festival circuit internationally. Um, you know, Reflections in the Dust had, uh, you know, certainly got some international recognition at international festivals. And there was, uh, you know, an attention delivered to that kind of small film um, because it was certainly outside the norm. Um, and I think that's got to be the hard thing is that, what is an Australian film nowadays? Like I have this argument with people all the time because it comes down to funding. So you have a film like The King, which was nominated for Best Film at the Actor Awards last year. And The King is based on a Shakespeare play and it wasn't even made in Australia. And it's, you know, doesn't have a predominantly Australian cast. I mean, Timothy Chalamet was the lead actor in that. And, and it's yet, got Mendo, and Mendo's worth like 50 Australian film points. That's true. And, and it has, I you know- count Rogue One is technically an Australian film. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah i mean we have th that's the thing it's like what what constitutes an australian film nowadays does I it have to be does it have to be about australia to be an australian film i think the fact that we spent so long on this topic indicates that we all have a lot of anxiety about our, our national identity and what constitutes australian art as a whole 
Um, but you know, like you talked about, uh, or Jasper talked about Mad Max earlier, but I wouldn't consider Fury Road an Australian film by a long fucking short, even though it's directed by George Miller. Like if that's an Australian film, then Dead Poet Society is an Australian film because it was directed by Peter Weir, but that's clearly not an Australian film. Like get your hand mm -hmm. off. Uh, but we can't. But we've claimed Fury Road because Mad Max is our action franchise, you know. But it's not. Uh, a lot of uh, Fury Road's funding came from Screen Australia, though, right? That, that's how I would, uh, really? you know. But, the, but then so did so really? did a lot of the funding for Aquaman. Yeah. So did a lot of the funding for Aquaman and Thor Ragnarok. You know, not not more than fifty percent. Jasper's got an additional point to the question. He's stuck his hand up there. Go for it, Jasper. Well, no, I just thought it was really interesting. When you look at what Screen Australia has put its money into over the last few years, it's there's obviously a certain amount of now I don't wanna I don't wanna downplay the what they've done, but they've they've evidently attempted to support the um, technical side of Australian filmmaking by putting money into productions, you know, that come from overseas and use Australian technical ability. Um, now, I suppose then the, the question then runs is to what extent is there the difference between the Australian film industry and Australian films? Can, can we have a viable industry that actually works basically as subcontractors on Hollywood and other, other um, areas? And then you get, dare I say it, trickle down effect into Australian films being made. Which is kind of a model we have now, but that's really interesting because one of the things which has been uh, thought of, hypothesized recently in terms of like maybe getting like shoots happening again in Australia is that we might be one of the only locations on earth like us and New Zealand where major productions can, can just get up, can get mounted because, you know, we're not dying in the street like Americans or the British or the Italians. Um, sorry, all those countries, but we're winning. Uh, and but yeah, that means that our crews will be working on on what are effectively foreign overseas productions. But you know, our our crews are kind of famous for being you know fucking great. Uh, and we've always kind of operated with that. You know, you get a a Thor Ragnarok shooting here. You get a, a Man of Steel. Oh, it wasn't Man of Steel. It was uh, Superman Returns. Or you get a, a Pacific Rim too. And it means that a whole bunch of technical crew can can feed their families for a year. And that means when some emerging filmmaker goes, oh, I really like you as a DOP. Some DOP can be like, yeah, man, I'll bring my light truck and we'll, we'll work something out. Uh, yeah, I wonder how that's going to play. But then again, you have the situation where they've removed the Australian content quota recently. Paul Fletcher, what a lovely dude. I'm not going to say any more about him. Uh, so the onus is office, uh, in terms of television at least, to even make Australian content, which means a lot of people are out of work and probably going to remain so because I'm damn sure that uh, every terrestrial network and every uh, uh, streaming service is going to argue that that quota not be reintroduced for as long as humanly possible, if ever. So we're kind of up in the air at the moment, it's, which seems to be my default answer for a lot of things. Like, I don't know. It's all kind of up in the air, but there are a lot of factors in play and it's very hard to measure one against the other because they're all kind of hypothetical and we're in uncharted territory. But on the, on the same hand, um, you do have on those big films the attachments for different fields. You know, oh. there, there are certainly a lot of attachments on major films. Alien Covenant had some great attachments on there for director attachments as well as um, effects attachments. Apologies for the background noise. My dog is walking. Um, but, yeah, there is certainly... And then you look at Thor Ragnarok as well, where yeah. Taika Waititi made that film 
very respectful to indigenous characters and indigenous um, voices. The uh, attachments on that particular film were indigenous people learning how to do director's attachments. I think Shari Sebens was the director's yeah. attachment on that. Um, then also there were uh, stunts uh, attachments too. And then, you know, when you have a director like, um, when you have a director like uh, Taika Waititi who manages to turn the spaceship on there into you know, representation of the Aboriginal flag. It's, you know, Absolutely. black, red, and, <laughs> you know, black and red. And it's called the Commodore as well. Like, you have those <laughs> kinds of su subtle um, Australian elements coming through. And maybe that's where, as you were saying, Jasper, maybe that's where things will turn. A Becoming a um, contracted out kind of uh, secondary thing with tangential Australian films being made on the side. Um, yeah. It's, it's going to be a complex thing. And I'm going to lead into the next question, which comes from Jonathan Spiro, who runs the Mono Report, um, which is a review channel on YouTube, as well as he writes for The Curve as well. And he's written in asking about, uh, was significant debate on having Netflix or Google invest in Australian content and voices at the moment. What concerns or hopes do you have for the Australian identity being maintained, in theory, by these foreign giants? Um, which is a really complex thing. And it adds to what Jasper was just asking. What does it mean? What does it mean about the Australian identity? Uh, I'm gonna handball this one off and mute myself for a second while I sort my dog out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the thing. Uh, when it comes to uh, Australian content quotas on streaming, which is sort of part of what, what, what uh, Spiroff is asking, uh, there is no point putting a, a time requirement, like number of hours of Australian content required because Buddy, I'll give you a thousand hours of Australian content tomorrow and Netflix can stick it at the back of their algorithm and no one ever needs to watch it. It can be paint drying and they will have ticked the box and we will have no further representation there. What needs to come in for streaming? Because like with traditional television broadcast, you've got 24 hours in a day and you can always say, well, three of those hours need to be Australian content or whatever the fuck it is. I've never really looked into it. But with streaming, you've basically got infinite space to fill with content so it doesn't matter how much of that is australian if you're not going to promote it if you're not, not going to put it on the front of the 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 menu uh push forward by the algorithm stuff like that it can just disappear into the ether doesn't matter the stan the stan is oh sorry travis sorry sorry um so what we need is actually an investment quota where a certain amount of money or a certain percentage of production needs to go into Australian content, which will incentivize streaming and VOD services to make good content because they've had to sink money into it. It's not just making the cheapest shit possible to hit a time quota. It is about making sure they get a return on the mandated investment. Mm. That is my thought on the subject. Matt? Yeah. Go. No, I was just going to say that uh, Stan are, are very good at uh, promoting their local content, I guess, because they're owned locally. Uh, well, but I does anyone know... Yeah. What's that, sorry? Stan are kicking goals. Like Bloom yeah, they're doing the really, world. really good, uh, you know, with the, the through history of the Kelly Gang and um, mm -hmm. uh, the second last year, um, which yeah. was uh, written by Stephen Lance and directed by Marion Cameron, which I recommend everyone checking out. Um, the thing with uh, streaming services is that they attract a, a younger actually not a younger demographic, but a broader demographic 
90% of the times that I go to see an Australian film, which is lucky enough to get an Australia uh, cinema release. I hate to say it, but uh, you know, most of the audience is made up of, of an older demographic. So if we're releasing it during this time, during isolation, if we're using this opportunity to release more of more content onto um, onto streaming services, it might be an opportunity to to, to reintroduce a, board, a broader demographic to um, to Australian films, and it might work in our favour going forward um, that people will be reintroduced to um, established Australian filmmaking talent and introduce the new uh, Australian filmmaking talent, which will encourage them to go to the cinema to see their next film. Um, so, you know, that, that could work in our favour if we get onto it right now. Uh, Amazon Prime seem to, seem to be picking up quite a, a bit of Australian content at the moment. I don't know if anyone else has noticed that. Um, uh, whether we get that content oh, in just Australia. Fantastic. Oh, good. That's great to have yeah. him on. Um, he just had to log off, but he said goodbye to everyone. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, a which is an Australian film full of American accents and is set uh, in America, has just mm -hmm. been picked up by Amazon Prime. Um, you know, so there's those kind of opportunities. If we jump onto it now, and if Netflix um, jump onto it now, or if they're forced to jump onto it now, and if Stan continue to do what they're doing, um, yeah. I think Bloom's a great uh, kind of, I mean, specifically for that kind of thing, because what it does, because of its sort of de-aging kind of conceit, which is baked into the premise of the, of the series, is you get the best of the older generation of Australian actors, like Brian Brown and Jack Weaver, and, uh, uh, Gary Sweet just turned up this season, and the best of the young generation as well. So you actually get this great kind of showcase of incredible Australian acting talent across, you know, multiple generations, which I really yeah. do. Yeah, including Ryan Core. Uh, probably yeah. our best Australian actor right now. <laughs> Good old Ryan Core, man. <laughs> Ryan Core's fantastic. I want to fold in another question as well, which leads into what we've already been talking about too. And this one comes from Robbie Studsaw, who uh, filmed Burning Kiss Screen at your festival, Matt, WA Made Film Festival. It's also available to watch via Filming Presents online. Um, I still haven't seen that. Robbie, send me a link. <laughs> um, it is... Pay for uh, it, you cheap bastard. Yeah. <laughs> The only um, way I can survive is if I don't pay for films. I don't make any money doing this. <laughs> um, the term culture irrelevant seems to come up a lot in funding criteria. What are, the th what are the thoughts on the term and the process of deciding what is and isn't culturally relevant? Seems now, like a lot of people are asking almost the same question. It is almost the same question. And it comes back to what Jasper was saying, you know, and, and it comes back to that whole identity of what Australia is. Um, what is Australian? And I think that just, that kind of feeds into what you had mentioned before, Travis, about how people are very much like the conservative funding bodies and things like that. And I wonder whether, how this will uh, be impacted, the, the, you know, the ways that, uh, I'm trying to think of the right way of saying this, but the ways that Netflix and your Amazons and, and even Foxtel as well, which came up with Wentworth too, um, I'm curious how they are going to uh, address this kind of thing too. Uh, how important it is it to tell these kinds of stories. Uh, is there an audience for this kind of thing? I'll tell you what I wish is that I wish we had um, an Indigenous filmmaker to ask this question of, or a, a, a queer filmmaker or a, 
like any like because we're all straight and white as fuck right and we're sitting around <laughs> talking about the australian identity and how like oh it doesn't matter like it's like yeah, obviously it's going to be an australian story because australians are making it but there are marginalized voices in australia who benefit from a more stringent kind of cultural quota system because otherwise like mainstream culture will not necessarily reject out of hand but tends to ignore like sort of those those more fringe voices in favor of pretty ordinary sort of prosaic quotidian content and entertainment so like that's something we haven't considered so like i don't think i have a point there but i i, I just think that we as, as a group discussing this may be missing out on some really crucial insights simply because of our own personal identities and how we relate to the idea of, of, of being Australian and Australia as a culture. That there is the first half of the Q&A discussion that I had with Matthew Eels from Cinema Australia. You can find his stuff, cinemaaustralia.com.au and also Travis Johnson from Around the Internet. His main website is celluloidandwhiskey.com but he also writes for uh, flicks.com.au, Mr. Movies, The Curb and SBS as well. Lots of great writing there. And you can find my stuff at thecurb.com.au. The second half will be up in a few days days but in the meantime head over to the website thecurb.com.au or on facebook or on twitter the curb au on both of them uh, or get in contact with me contact at thecurb.com.au and if you have a few extra dollars you can always chuck it my way uh, which helps keep the website running and helps keep independent uh, media running which we touch on in the next episode uh, by heading over to patreon.com forward slash the curb au as little as a dollar a month helps keep this an independent website uh, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys, and we hopefully will run another one of these in the future. Uh, but for the meantime, at least this discussion exists and is available for your ear holes. I uh, hope you're all staying safe and looking after each other and uh, staying positive as well. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Get great fall savings on all your home care and entertaining needs during the fall home care event at Safeway. Head into Safeway and get deals on products like Clorox disinfecting wipes, Swiffer wet mopping cloths, Lysol all-purpose cleaner, Swiffer wet jet mopping pads, Mr. Clean multi-surface cleaner, or Lysol power toilet bowl cleaner. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more details. Offers expire October 31st. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary.